0: wonderful to be here been looking forward to this time for many months and I appreciate the invitation very much it's a very exciting time to me to look at and pursue additional leadership and I hope you've been praying for this as I've been praying for this and I hope it goes well um very happy to be working with Ty uh, He said, "I said, Ian Jones' mother-in-law. Is that what I said? I have a hard time believing him sometimes. Uh, Ian Jones' stepmother, uh, Tina. It's a first for me. Tina, I've never held a meeting together except in Africa, so it's great to be able to do that here in America too, and be working together. We're quite popular in Africa, Uh, but it's it's wonderful to be here, and I hope I hope you'll enjoy the study. I hope you enjoy the time together." most preachers say I'm not going to talk very long. That's usually a lie. I'm not going to say that. I may talk a little longer than normal tonight, but I've got several things that I want to cover. And I've uh, tried to think of leadership, and the, and the study tonight going to be on godly leadership. I tried to find a good picture that I thought would embody godly leadership. And if you look at pictures, you find anything you want to find, But I kept trying to think about this and I I kept seeing this picture and I finally decided this is the one. This is a man that's got gloves on because he works. It's a man who gets dirty and it's a man who toils and a man who sweats. It's a man who rises early because he's got things to do and there's work to do and those things are important to him and he works late and he doesn't shirk a task. He doesn't fear those tasks. And this is things that were in my mind when it came to godly leadership. And I want you to think about it with me tonight. And I'm very excited about the subject. I think it's a very, very important subject. And I want to encourage you tonight to give thought to these things. If you're a young man tonight, I want you to especially listen. And I want to encourage you young men to aspire to be leaders in God's church someday. To plan your life around someday being a leader, an elder, or a deacon in God's church. To pursue a wife who will help you and aid you in this pursuit, because it's a wonderful pursuit. It's a wonderful thing to be a leader in God's church. Are the Apostle Paul to Titus, and to the, uh, from the Apostle Paul to Titus, the Evangelist For this cause left I thee in Crete, that thou shouldest set in order the things that are warning and ordain elders in every city as I had appointed thee. This is the command given to the Evangelist. And part of my role and part of Ty's role as we work as evangelists this week is to help you to do this, to have things in order as they should be. And if I'm totally honest with you, I have been to the congregation in Amarillo in a time and in a day that it was not in order. It was a long time ago. And I have seen nothing but improvement. I've seen nothing but growth and things get in order to a point where this congregation, in my opinion, it thrives. And I praise God for that. I praise God. I'm so thankful for that. Doesn't mean the task is done. There's a responsibility to continue to pursue leadership here, and that's the idea. To set in order means to straighten further or arrange additionally, and that's the idea. They are says to set in order besides or further. So that's the idea along the way. Did you realize that 27.3% of congregations in the brotherhoods have elders? Did you know that? That's pathetic. That's a shame. That ought to embarrass every one of us who claim a part of this brotherhood. That's woeful. Brethren, that's wrong. And it's going to take men dedicating your life to God to change that number. It's going to take ladies dedicating their life to God to change that number. This tells me that 72% do not have God's leaders among them. Now I'm going to tell you something I've noticed. I've been blessed to travel and do church work for many years. The 27% are doing quite well. Churches with elders tend to do quite well. The congregations that don't have elders, there's a couple of things that's going to happen. They're going to work and they're going to get elders or they're going to die. I believe that. And the necessity for elders is vast. It's great. And if you do not pursue elders here, even though you have them, you're blessed to have two really good men as elders. If you don't pursue them, these men will get old and they will die. And you will not have elders here. And you will become one of the statistics. Each generation of leadership is responsible for preparing the next generation of leadership. Leadership happens. This is true. Leadership will just happen. But godly leadership never just happens. Never. Godly leadership is purposed, it's planned, it's had a, a vision in mind, and we got to follow a vision to have more elders and more deacons as it goes along. And so this is what we're doing here this week. This has been the vision of the elders that you have, is to perpetuate leadership for the future so they'll be being here to guide and to take care of this congregation. There's a number of ways to have leadership. One is through attrition i've seen this a lot in my life we go to a congregation and in that congregation there's generally one old man who's the guy he's not an elder but he's the guy and he leads the church until he dies one day and then we all get to church the next sunday and we look around and go who's going to lead and somebody steps up and we go you're the leader And through a process of attrition, that man's the leader until, guess what? He gets old and he dies. And then through attrition, we get another one. And that's not God's way. It's not God's plan. Number two is through heritage. Well, his father was a church leader, so we're going to make the son a church leader. And this happens a lot too, and it's not God's way either. Popularity. There are church leaders who are nice guys. they got a nice car. They buy my lunch. Let's make them a leader. And this is not a popularity contest. There's a lot of popular guys here. That's no way to have leadership either. I've seen it where deceitfulness was the way there were leaders appointed. I know of a congregation where one time in the night, three guys got together, and the first guy appointed the second one a leader. And the second guy appointed the third, and the third guy appointed the first. And they said, we're elders. And guess what happened in two weeks? The church split. And guess what happened in a year? It was dead. It's not God's way either. Another way I've seen leaders is the bully's the leader. He's the guy who's the loudest, and he barks everybody down in a business meeting, and he becomes the leader. That's not God's way either. Or we could follow a scriptural pattern. We can follow the pattern that we find in the New Testament. I want to tell you about that just briefly because that's what I want to do. In the scriptural pattern, we have an evangelist involved, we have elders, if there are existing elders, and here you do, we have elders involved, and we have a congregation involved. That's what we find in the New Testament. And I believe today that the congregation today will put forth names of men, and the congregation can also say, we don't want these men. In a sense, the congregation today has veto power. Along with that veto power, the elders have veto power. And finally, the evangelist has veto power. And I believe this is a system that God has instituted in the New Testament so that there are some checks and balances. So that it's a fair process. So that it's a thorough process. And so that ultimately we get godly men who meet the qualifications. And I'm not going to talk about qualifications necessarily tonight. But we want men who are godly men, and the scriptural pattern is like a three-legged stool. And what happens on a three-legged stool if we lose one of the legs? It falls apart, doesn't it? It falls down. So I want you to think about this briefly just for a moment. Think about the congregation. In Acts chapter 6, we could have a lot of discussion about whether or not these are deacons, but this was an example that we have in Scripture where the apostles directed the church to choose out some leaders. and I want you to notice what the apostles said. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. He says to the church, take a survey and choose out seven men. And if you're familiar with Acts chapter 6, the Grecians were complaining, the Grecian widows were neglected. And if I had been Grecian and my grandmother or my mother had been neglected, I would have went and complained too. I would have said, hey... My grandma didn't get to eat. And this was the problem. And so the apostle said, You take and look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The apostle said, You choose them out, we'll appoint them. And that's the pattern that we find. And so in this instance, the church chose out these seven men. And interestingly, they were all Grecians. And they appointed them over this business. These These apostles appointed those men. And this is going to be the job of the congregation this week. In the next few days. To think about the men of this congregation. To look ye out at them. To choose some men. And you're going to give me and Ty these names. And this is the time to think about it, folks. This is the time to discuss it. I know you've been studying about these things. I hope you understand the qualifications. Have been studying the qualifications. I hope you've been praying about these things. Because in the next few days, we need to sit down with you and we need to talk about this. It's the appropriate time. It's the appropriate time to do that. The evangelist. As we read in the beginning, it's their job to come in, set things in order, and ordain elders in every city. And this is the part of the job... That it, it's an enjoyable part. It's typically very enjoyable to know a congregation is either close to having elders or has grown to the point they can have additional elders. It's part of that setting and order. And we come in from the outside as I understand the role and oversee that it's a fair process. We look from the outside looking in. Sometimes on the inside it's harder to see. Sometimes because of relationships, because of the nature of being together so often, things are overlooked. And so we can come in from the outside and view these things and look at these men and have an objective look. Ty and I don't have a favorite. We don't have a personal choice that we've already made. This is a three-legged stool and we've all got to work together. And 1 Timothy chapter 5 The Apostle Paul says this to the evangelist Timothy. I charge thee before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that thou observe these things without preferring one before another. Doing nothing by partiality. Lay hands suddenly on no man. Neither be partaker of other men's sins. Keep thyself pure. The admonition from the Apostle to the evangelist was... You be fair. You be fair. And he also, we're told to be thorough and not do this in a quick manner. Not do this in a manner that's hasty without giving it a lot of thought and a lot of prayer. And I'll tell you, that's going to go on a lot. In the next week or ten days, mostly Ty and I are not going to talk about football or fishing or basketball. We're going to talk about this church. We're going to talk about the men who are in this room, most likely. We're going to talk about the qualifications. We're going to talk about the work of an elder, the work of deacons. That's what's going to be in our minds. And we're going to think about these things, and we're going to be fair in this process. Finally, we get to the third step in the stool, which is elders. In 1 Peter 5, verse 2, he says to the elder, Feed the flock of God which is among you, Taking the oversight thereof. The elders have a responsibility to oversee this process. That's a part of oversight. They oversee all the work of the church. They oversee most every aspect of the church. But in selecting future leadership, they have a role to oversee this process. So I'll tell you something about these elders. They know things about each of the families here, each of the men, that not everybody else knows. They have dealings. They have studies, they have interaction on an individual basis and from a leadership, from a shepherd to sheep basis that not everyone else here has. And they have knowledge of that. And the elders, as I understand it, at the end have veto power. They can say, I, we're not going to put this man in or that man in. They have that right. Now likely, as we go through this process, And the congregation gives its information. And the evangelists view this and we give our input. And the elders look at it and give their input. It's a very fair process. Secondly, it's a very thorough process. And we're going to stick to the qualifications. And we're going to look at these qualifications and review the men with their families and their children. And I believe in the end we're going to select good men. Men that you can trust, whose faith you can follow. Because they're going to lead this congregation. And that's the idea and that's the process. Hebrews 13 verse 7, remember those who rule over you. Who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow. Considering the outcome of their conduct. We want men to lead who we will be happy to follow. I want you to follow these men with joy. I want you to be happy to do the bidding of these men. To follow means to imitate their faith. And so this brings us to the first point tonight. Godly leaders have foresight. Look for men who have foresight, who have wisdom, and who look down the road of time to prepare this congregation and themselves. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 22, verse 3, he says, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. Prudence means wisdom. He's a a wise man. He looks down the road and he sees what's coming. He may look down the road and see evil coming his way. And because he sees it, he prepares himself and he hides himself. He says the simple pass on and are punished. I want to encourage you tonight to think about men who have foresight. Who prepare themselves. Who are ready. the changing of time the changing of situation they're prepared for those things because they think about what's ahead and they prepare themselves the prudent man he foresees life is just like a stream And, and you and I are standing in a stream and up coming down the stream toward us it's just water it's just time but occasionally a log comes down the stream occasionally brush and debris occasionally there's a storm and terrible things come down the stream of time and prudent men they look ahead they're watchful they're diligent to be careful and looking and watching what's going to come along the elders at home i believe they're prudent men i believe they're men of foresight they look at our congregation from time to time they say we need teaching on this subject or that subject. Not long ago they said we've got a lot of young families. We've got a lot of young people. We've got a lot of children. We need teaching on those things. We need teaching on family. We need teaching on marriage and who, how to choose a mate. And so they begin to teach on those things because there's a lot of young people. In just a few years they'll be choosing husband and wife. Those are critical things. And so because they're prudent... They look down the road to time. They say, here's what's coming. We need to be ready. We need to prepare. An example, Genesis chapter 14, beginning in verse 10. The veil of Sidon was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to the mountain. Now, just, if you're not familiar with the chapter, there's a little civil war in and around Abram. And there's a battle and there's different kings and different sides and all that. Really, that, all that's not too pertinent to the story. There's a battle and there's a war going on. Verse 11, And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah and all their victuals and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So Lot was living in Sodom. Abraham had gone the other way from Lot. And these kings come, and they capture Lot, and they steal him, they carry him away. Verse 13, And there came one that had escaped, and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt in the plain of Mamre the Amorite, the brother of Eshcol, the brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants. He didn't just arm the servants. He armed the trained servants. Born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. He divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot and his goods, and the women also, and the people. He was a man of foresight. Someday there will be a battle. Someday there will be a war. Someday, someone in my family, someone who works for me, could be carried away. And Abraham was a man of vision. And because he could see down the road of time with wisdom and prudence, he trained the servants. He prepared these guys. They've been trained. They know how to use shield. They know how to use sword. They're prepared, and all they've got to do is arm the servants. And so many times what we see in life and what we see in churches with men who don't have foresight is when the battle comes and your loved one is carried away, the leaders come and say, we need to implement a training program. We need to build swords and we need to build shields and we need to hire mercenaries to come in and train our people. It's too late. It's too late. You're in trouble. We need men of wisdom who look down the road of time and say, we got to prepare today when the battle's not hot. We need to learn today for the days that are coming ahead, you see. We need godly leaders who have vision and who have foresight to prepare for the days that come that may be hard. Why did Abram have trained servants in his house? He was a man of prudence. He was a man of vision. He was a wise man. That's the kind of leader that we need. Matthew 25, verse 1 to 4, Then shall the kingdom of heaven be like unto ten virgins which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were wise and five were foolish. They that were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. They're not too hard. It's not too difficult to know we're going to need oil in the lamp. It doesn't take a genius to know that and see that and prepare. And a lot of times, if we don't have vision and we don't have foresight, we're going to pay because of that. We're going to not be prepared. We're going to not be ready. You know, when I was in high school, we judged uh, livestock. That was the cool thing to do. So I got on the livestock judging team, and I made the team. And I woke up one morning. We were going to Clarendon, Texas to judge livestock. My mother came in and woke me up. She said, son, you've got to get to the school. And I said the famous question, what time is it? And I jumped up and I threw on my jeans and a T-shirt. I grabbed my letter jacket and out the door I went. You know what the high was that day? 18. 18. No gloves, no long johns, no wool socks. And I would walk out there and and I'd wipe the frozen tears from my eyes and I'd say, one, two, three, four, that's good enough, that'll do. (laughs) And I'll tell you how you come in last, last place and judging livestock. You sleep a little too late and you don't check the weather and you just hop on the bus and go. And that's a good story. It's a true story, every word. I'll tell you, it's going to be a different thing if you don't have wisdom and foresight for your family, for your church, because the devil will come in and wreck you. He will wreck your life. And you need men of vision, men of wisdom to lead you and to teach us what to prepare for. The apostle said it this way in Acts 20, verse 28, "'Take heed, therefore, to yourselves.'" To all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost had made you overseers. To feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. Now notice what the Apostle Paul said. For I know this. That after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock, also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after them. Therefore, watch and remember that by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. The apostle was a man of vision, and he begged the elders to watch out, prepare, because when I as soon as I leave, the wolves are coming. Well, I'll tell you the truth, my friends. The wolf is coming. He's coming for you. He's coming for your kids. He's coming for this church. And you better prepare. You better prepare yourself as a man, as a husband, as a father. As a teacher in this congregation, you better prepare. As a deacon, you better prepare. As an elder, you better watch because things are good now. But you know what? One of these elders dies, the wolf's going to come. These elders get old, the wolf's coming. Secondly, godly leaders do what's right. It irritates me, I won't tell you my political leaning, but it irritates me when politicians take a poll and they find out what's popular and then they offer that. That's not leadership. Godly leaders do what's right. They follow the scriptures. They follow the doctrine. Maybe it's not popular at times. Maybe a lot of people say, why? Why would you do this or why would you do that? Godly leaders do what's right. Whether people like it or don't like it, they do what's right. The book of Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And I I can't read it without wanting to scream at Aaron and go, What are you thinking? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Carrie and Craig being gone for a few days and someone coming in and saying, They're gone. Let's make us a new way. Let's make us a new God. Let's follow a new way. And Aaron just, well, if it's what you want, give me the gold. Verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, what did this people unto thee? What did they do to you? they put a gun to your head? Did they kidnap your kids and your wife? How could they talk you into doing this? What did this people unto thee that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people that they are set on mischief. Why didn't he just do what's right? Why didn't he just stand for what was right? Godly leaders are going to do what's right and stand for what's right. Even if the people want mischief. I held a meeting in a congregation a few years ago. Visiting with those guys. Uh, They had elders. At the close of service one Sunday evening, they said, does any one of the men have an announcement? A man said, I have an announcement. They said, yeah. He said, I think we ought to become a Baptist church. I think we'll grow and I think we'll have more people and I think we'll do better if we're Baptist." you know what was said? George, would you lead us in a closing prayer? That's what was said. Nothing was said. Now, I will tell you, I think here at Amarillo, Craig and Carrie have been tackling each other to get to the microphone first. I think there would have been other men lining up behind them to say, that's not going to happen here. We're going to do what's right. We're going to follow the Scriptures, and that's what we're going to do. We're not going to alter from God's plan, and we're not going to be talked in to doing things that are not according to Scripture. Have you ever heard a sermon here in this pulpit that didn't have Scripture? I dare say you won't. And the day it happens, my friend, you're in trouble. Godly leaders do what is right? In Proverbs 19, verse 8, 29, rather, verse 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. We need to have vision, you see. We need to look down the road, but we got to follow the law of God. And when we do that, we're going to be happy. And leadership is going to navigate this minefield of life and lead us to safety through that vision and through a desire to do what is right. The book of Proverbs chapter 15, verse 22, Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. It's okay for these elders to counsel with the deacons, With the men of the congregation, those who teach, those who don't teach, and make wise choices and wise decisions along the way. And we've read it a couple of times, but notice what the admonition is by Peter to the church and to those elders to feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight, to look at things and make a choice and a decision about what is right. It's the kind of men we need. I want you to listen to me very carefully. We need men with backbone, men of courage, men who will fight the wolf, men who will stand up and say no, no. My great-grandfather's name was Dave Dukes, elder in the church in Bridgeport, Texas. It was a different time, years and years ago. At the close of their service, ask if any of the men had announcement. A man said he had announcement. He stood up and he said, An angel appeared in me in a vision last night and said. And that's as far as he got. And Dave Duke, Dave Duke stood up and said, You shut up and sit down, you're a liar. He might not have been a man of tact. Well, I'll tell you something. He had a spine. No. We're not doing these things if they're not right. You've got to feed the church and take the oversight. And you want men who are going to do what's right. Hebrews 13 verse 7. Obey them that have the rule over you. If you've got a command from God to obey these men, then you better choose men who will do what's right. Because you have a responsibility to obey to these men. He said, submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give account. It's a responsibility to God to one day give account for you. So follow these men and choose men who are going to do what's right. Let's switch gears just a little bit. Exodus 18 verse 21, in the old days, the Bible says, Moreover, you shall select from all the people, able to fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens. Really, things haven't changed. God has always had in mind for good and trustworthy men to lead his people. And that's absolutely true today. Men who hate covetousness, men of truth, that's what we're looking for. And so the next point is, we are looking for godly leaders who are motivated to serve by love, by love. That's what we need. Mark 6, verse 34. Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, was moved with compassion. When Jesus saw the people, his people, he looked over these people. They're his people. And he's moved. You ever been moved? You ever had that feeling that it creeps up your throat and it's going to choke you, and you're moved, and you feel compassion? You feel love within you when people suffer or when people are challenged or tried. That's what happened to the Lord. He saw the people was moved with compassion toward them because they were a sheep not having a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. This is the feeling of our Lord. Compassion. He had love. He saw the people. They needed leadership. And this leadership, this need, this vacuum of leadership... Caused him to have this feeling of compassion. He had to do something. Notice what he began to act. He began to teach them. Matthew 14 verse 14. Jesus went forth. Saw a great multitude was moved with compassion toward them. And he healed their sick. He saw these people. He loved these people. And they were sick. They were ill. They needed healing. And he's compelled to act because of that. Luke 9 verse 11. And the people when they knew it followed him and he received them. And spake unto them of the kingdom of God. And he healed them that had need of healing. I think these are all parallel passages that we read about our Lord. And it's the same theme. He saw the people. He loved the people. And he's moved with compassion. And he acts. He's motivated to serve because he loves these people. And this was Jesus' motivation. A desire for their good. If you love one another, you want nothing but good. Good. It's easy to want good for our kids. Easy to want good for our husband or wife. We just we want nothing but good. We want them to prosper. We want them to grow. We want happiness. This work of leadership must be motivated by love. Jesus, when he saw that they didn't have leadership, he wanted them to learn the truth. He saw they had no leadership. He wanted them to understand the kingdom of heaven. He wanted to teach them about the kingdom. He saw they had no leadership. He wanted them to be healed. I'm going to tell you, in this church today, you have people with these very needs. They need to learn the truth. They need to understand the kingdom of God. They need to be healed because lives are destroyed today in sin. And every one of us here struggles with sin. Every one. And dare I say, every single person you meet on the street today struggle, and probably in a greater way. People need to be led. People need to be showed the way. They need to be taught truth. And godly leaders have got to be motivated by this desire to help people. Jesus wanted them to be fed. My little old wife try to feed Zane when he was a little baby, and he'd get so hungry, he'd scream. He's sitting in a high chair, and he'd just scream. And she'd get that baby food open, and she'd get that spoon in there, and he'd scream, and she'd try to get it in his mouth, and he'd take a bite, and he'd chew it up going... N-n-n-n-n. And then as soon as he chewed up that bite, he'd scream. And she'd get another bite, and she'd get it in his mouth, and another one. And finally, at about half a jar, he'd quit screaming. <laughs> Well, she wanted to feed the kid. She tried. Jesus looks down on you, and he wants to feed you. He wants you to learn. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to learn how to overcome the temptations of life and the snares that the devil sets in your life. And this is the same idea to elders to help you, to grow, to know truth, to understand the kingdom, to be healed, to be fed. He wants them to go to heaven. That's the whole idea. These two elders work tirelessly, hours upon hours that you will never know about in the middle of the night for zero pay. Not one penny for no applause, for no kudos. Why? They love you. They want you to go to heaven. They want you to have a good life and a prosperous life. I guarantee it's what motivates these men. And it's what motivates every godly leader. A love for people. This is what motivated Jesus. Now, I think this passage of Scripture says exactly the same thing. First Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 3.1, this is a true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. It's work. And the motivator is Love. I'm going to serve you because I love you. I want to serve you because I care about you. I want to serve you because I want you to grow. And I want you to be strong. And I want you to go to heaven. Godly leaders are motivated by that same love. Godly leaders. Philippians 2 verse 4. Let each of you look out. Not only for his own interest. But also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. This is the heart and soul of leadership to look out for others, to help others, to help people go to heaven. That's the job. I love you. I want you to make it to heaven, and I will do anything I can to help you to get to heaven. It's the idea. Godly leaders are motivated by that love. If, if there are men in this group who want to be elders but don't have this love, it ain't going to work. If they want the title and want to thump their chest and say, I'm an elder, that's not what godly leaders do. Godly leaders do the work day and night, early and late, clean or dirty, without complaint. Does this love, does this compassion motivate you to serve? I hope it does. It should. Finally, godly leaders want to work. They want to work. This is what they're about. Titus 2 verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. We are a people... Who should be about work? Now, we live in a world that's usually not. It's about me. There's a lot of people in a lot of churches who come to be served. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, I'm not getting what I need out of this church. That church didn't offer what I needed. They, this church didn't have what's for me. It's not, that's not what Christianity's about. We all have certain needs. Leadership is about effort and about work and what can I do? How can I get dirty helping the people that are in need? How can I get involved in helping this church to grow? What can I do to serve in some way? This is what leadership's about. Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We had... uh, Back at home in Wheeler, we had two funerals in a week. We found out one of our members had passed away, and at right before the funeral for that member, we found out the second one had passed away. And in about five days, our ladies fed 400 people. We arranged chairs and moved chairs. We had a heap, heap of trash, okay, moving Chairs around, songbooks, flowers—you know how it is. An abundance of work and trying to serve these families who were heartbroken, who were grieving. We had a deacon. He come walking out of the building, (laughs) carrying trash. I said, how many loads have you carried? He said, I don't remember. He said, but I want to be a worker for the Lord. <laughs> i tell you what. You got to want to work. Because if, if you're put in leadership in this congregation, you're going to be called on to work. And maybe it's trash. And maybe your job as a deacon is going to be trash every week. Can you handle that? Maybe it's going to be take care of the dreaded baptistry. Man, they're a pain. Maybe it's going to be a lot more in that spiritual in nature. You may get called to go with an elder to a home where a young teenage lady's pregnant. You, you may get to go counsel with someone whose husband or wife's been killed in a car wreck. It ain't fun. You may may have to sit down with husbands and wives who hate each other. And I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm talking about hate each other's guts. And try to help them have peace. Forgiveness. Try to help them heal. Heal. And as a leader, you're going to have a target on your back. It's work. And all this work's out of love. It's because we care. In Isaiah 56, verse 10, he says, His watchmen are all blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. These leaders may be called on to fight false doctrine. They may be called on to hold the church together when there are men who want to divide and destroy this church. I tell you, it ain't no fun. I think it's a fantastic verse. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Van Miller gave one of the all-time great quotes. He said, I may be a dumb dog, but I'll bark. My old dog was barking the other night. He barked and barked and barked. And I finally got out of bed in the underwear. I went to the front door. I jerked it open to scold this dumb dog. There's a skunk right there on the porch. I slammed that door and said, pretty good dog. (laughs) Good dog. Godly leaders have got to want the work. It takes a whole lot for a church to function well. I want to tell you, Ty's seen it. I've seen it. It takes a lot of people for the church to function well. And I've seen churches that just do not function. It takes every one of you. It takes the elders all the way down to function. And it takes an immense amount of labor For a congregation this size. And I want to tell you right now. It is a tremendous burden on two elders. Tremendous. And it's a tremendous burden on four deacons. And you have a wonderful opportunity. You need to look for men who have foresight. For men who will do what is right. For men who love the Lord. And who want to serve. And you need to find men who are willing to work. And not just wear a title. It's a service to be an elder or deacon. 1 Corinthians 16 verse 15. I beseech you brethren. You know the house of Stephanus. That it is the first fruits of Achaia. And that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They couldn't live without it. They could not live. And not serve the church. And that's the kind of people we need. People who will dedicate themselves to the good of this church. To the work of the church. To the souls of this church so that they can go to heaven. Matthew 20 verse 26. It shall not be so among you but whosoever will be great among you let him be your minister. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. This is in the nature of Jesus, to serve, to sacrifice. Not to be great, but because you love people and you want to be a servant. That's the idea. 1 Corinthians 9, 19, For though I be free from all men, yet I have made Myself, servant unto all. And it it seems backwards, it seems strained to think our leaders, the guys who are in charge, the guys who are in the top spot, they're servants. They're slaves. They serve you. And they have. These men have served since 2007. Feed the flock. Take the oversight, not by constraint, but willingly. Willingly. <clears throat> First, Saint Corinthians 6, beginning in verse 1. We then as workers together with Him beseech you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For He saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In the day of salvation I have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Verse 3 says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Now listen carefully. In much patience... And affliction and necessities and distresses and stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors and watchings and fastings. To be an elder is a work of service. To be a deacon is a service. And it's going to be hard. There are going to be complaints, there are going to be problems, there are going to be trials along the way. And the idea is we need men who are godly men who want to serve, even if it's hard. Even if it means time away from the wife and time away from kids or time off from work and serving the church, even though there are trials and tribulations along the way, they want to serve because they're dedicated to the church and they love the Lord. I want to ask you to get your songbook out this evening. Thank you for listening. We've talked about a subject that you've been talking about some the last few months. I know it's not talked about a lot. We have an invitation song, and we, we say we have that every service. That's right. I want to talk to you about that just a second. It's not my invitation. It's God's invitation. It's the invitation of Jesus. You might ask for what? To change. To change your life. To change your path. To change the course you are on, you have that invitation right now. And you can turn from a path to hell and get on a path to heaven. You can do that in the next few minutes. You can change your life. And Jesus wants you to change. He came and gave his life, not so that you can live in sin, not so that you could suffer, Not so that you could flail and struggle. He gave life, and he gives life more abundantly. And if you need forgiveness tonight, he'll give it. If you'll repent, if you'll humble yourself, he will change you into what you ought to be. Maybe here tonight, you're a young man, and you're not on the right path. You made bad choices, doing things you shouldn't do. You may look at this and say, I could never be an elder. Not true. Because Jesus will change you. If you'll follow him, you can be not only a deacon, but you can be an elder in the Lord's church. You can change your life today through Jesus. And you need to take that opportunity. If you're sitting in this audience tonight and you're listening to what I'm saying, if you're not on the right path with God, change now. Sometimes you've got to do something radical. And during this song, maybe you need to get up and come to the front. Maybe you need to beg God to help you to change. I'll tell you, if you're on the road to hell, you need that's the most appropriate thing you can do. The best decision you could make would be to get up and stand up and come to the front and change. And be what God wants you to be. Not who the devil wants you to be, what God wants you to be. And that's why we've taken this minute off the subject of the evening, but... We're going to give this invitation. We're going to sing a few verses. You think about your soul. While we sing this song, you think about your life. And change. Come to the front. I'll take your hand as we sing.